All right. This is a reading from Luke 1, 26 to 45. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Thank you, Rachel. All right, we are uh, heading into the Christmas season, so we're going to uh, be doing some now some uh, more Christmas-themed messages, talking about Christmas, and, and, and I'm saying things a lot. Um, one of the things that I always struggle with is, is this. We all know the Christmas story, right? I don't know if while Rachel was reading, one of you went, oh, wow, I've never heard that part, right? And, and, and for many of you, especially if you were raised in a church, you've heard a million Christmas stories, right? And so part of, part of what I try to do at times is say, let's approach this a little differently. Let's look at it a little differently. Let's see what we can still, because the word of God can never, you never delve all the way to the bottom and get the, you go, oh, this is it. I've learned it all. No way. And I believe that about things for us as familiar as our Christmas message that, that we read oftentimes. And so I want to talk about this this morning. I'm just going to talk about Mary, the mother of Jesus. And the first thing I was thinking is because Christmas, you know, we were just talking about it for these kids uh, whose parents are in prison. We, we got these gifts. And, and when I was a little kid, you know, who, who doesn't? I loved Christmas. The, the presents would start showing up under the tree, and I would just be like, is this, is this one for me? No. You know, and then, and then find one. This is for me. I wonder what it is. I wonder what it is. And then my parents made me ask permission if I was allowed to shake it, you know? You know some, and so I would say, am I allowed to shake it? And they would say no. Then they'd leave the room, and i go, chicka, 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 chicka. I would shake it. Um, and so we wonder, what is this present? We get, it, we get all excited about it. And then, and then Christmas comes, and, you know, you open the presents, and how fun that is, right? It's so exciting to, to be able to open the presents. There's two ways of opening presents. I think a lot of you know this. You maybe haven't thought about it. One way is the way you like to do it, where you just tear it to pieces. But there's another way. You know what that way is. It's when your mother says, my mom used to say, oh, I love that paper. 
don't rip it. And then you're like, ooh, taking it apart a little bit, by, which kills you if you think it's something really cool because you want to tear and rip and destroy, right? And so opening is a big deal. And the key here is, as we look at this, is that a gift is presented to Mary. And then how does she open it? How does she respond to that gift? All right? So first thing I want you to see is what is the gift? And, and the point under that is who are we given? We, the gift in Scripture we see from this passage is this, this gift is, is this announcement about Jesus. And so the first thing we want to think about is, who are we given? And, and, and in this passage, in Luke one thirty two, the first part, it says, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. Luke one thirty five, a few verses later. So the holy one to be born will be called the son of God. And, and Mary has a wonderful response to this. Um, and it takes a period of time for this to happen. And it's not in this passage. Uh, from Luke verse 46 and following, she writes what, what we call the Magnificat, which is Mary's response to all of this news, and it is a song to be sung. And it, it is beautiful. It shows, I uh, don't want to go into that too much, it's, but what it does is it shows someone who has a deep knowledge of Old Testament Scripture, of their Scripture, and then writes it, weaves it into this song that she writes. And so that's her response, but it takes a while to get to that response. Elizabeth, we see in this passage, gets the implications of what's going on. Elizabeth tells her in verse 45, Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. She says, you are blessed because you, you have believed what the Lord has said. He, the angels, you know, sends an angel to Mary and, and tells her all of this. And then we see this in verse 43. Uh, she says, but why, Elizabeth says to her, why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? What is she saying there? Elizabeth is showing that the Lord who sent the angel, right, is the Lord in Mary's womb. That's what's happening here. The one who is in your womb is every bit as holy as the Father in heaven. And I want to tell you something right here. This is the raw material that the early church suddenly was faced with and began to realize and formulate this concept of the Trinity because the implications and, 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 and the verses and, and all the things that happened here, they're too, they're too huge. You can't ignore them because suddenly we're saying the God who sent the angel to make this announcement is the God who's in your womb. And so now you can, their minds are blown by as they begin to work through this. Elizabeth shows us this Christmas is making claims that shatter all the, all the categories. The infinite becomes finite. The immortal becomes mortal. The omnipotent literally becomes impotent because the creator of the universe, I mean, you know, when you begin to think about this, the creator of the universe became a single cell the most weak and small version of life in the universe. The ideal becomes real. The supernatural becomes natural. The metaphysical becomes physical. The invulnerable becomes vulnerable. The holy, the holy other, this idea of a being who is so untouchable becomes 
huggable as a child. The impossible becomes possible. So who are we given next? I want to look at what are we given? In verse 45, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord has said to her, what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Elizabeth is saying here to Mary and to us that if you believe this, if you take this into, the, into your heart, you will be blessed of God. And what is blessed? And I, I think we kind of watered down in our days, but in those days, the blessed was the idea of shalom, full shalom, which was full functioning. To be blessed was to be everything that God made you to be, to be strengthened and repaired in your human capacity. It's, it's, it's psychological, it's, it's sociological, it's culture, it's all parts of life to be transformed. It's what we've been talking about in our study of Jesus. It's, it's Zoe life, not bios life. You know, I know we, some people haven't been here for some of that. In, in Scripture, we see all the time, we, we'll see the word bios for life. And what is that? That's regular life. That's physical life. And I say regular life. It's physical life. It's eating. It's drinking. It's sleeping. It's existing. That's what bios is. It's biological life. And in Scripture, we also see sometimes life translated with the word zoe. That is life that has meaning and purpose, life that brings joy. And Scripture often, and Jesus does this, he tacks on eternal in front of zoe. So we know that this isn't just, this isn't just my purpose in life is to, you know, is to make widgets for something. It's that, and you can, you can find purpose making widgets, whatever widgets are, I don't know. Wait, there is a word, for, yeah, okay. Never mind. But that's not eternal Zoe. Eternal Zoe is purpose that transcends this world. That's why things like giving kids presents as a part of prison fellowship, that becomes eternal Zoe because it transcends this world. It gets larger. That's why something I forgot to say in announcements on this table over here is a sign-up sheet for our port ministry to the homeless. On December the 26th in the evening, we need two groups of people, one to help them get in, get settled, and get registered, one to help them, one to help cook and serve a meal for homeless people. Then they spend the night, and in the morning, we need people to cook them breakfast and feed them and help them as they go out for the day, right? That has eternal implications. Why? Because we're doing these things in the name of Jesus. And so there's sign-up sheets over here. That was just like a super plug right then. The sign-up sheets over here, if you want to get involved in that, you can come look at the sheet. It'll tell you the different opportunities that are available, and you can sign up for one or the other or whatever you would like to do. I would encourage you to do it. I would encourage you to do it. In our society, there is no doubt that homeless people are considered the least of these. And Jesus said, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. So I would encourage you to have the opportunity to get involved in taking care of Jesus for one night. For one night. All right. So we see what we are given. We see blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Mary says this because she's saying there is shalom available now to people, the Zoe life that God made us for. And 
saying to Mary and saying to us that what's happening right then at that moment, if you believe, it can transform and change your life. All right? How will it do that? How will it do that? What does it give us? If we do that, what does it give us? First of all, it gives you vulnerability for intimacy. All relationships in our lives, personal relationships, work relationships, nations, whatever it is, there's a time when one person thinks the other is wrong, right? And you get a situation where a person says, you blew it, you are to blame. And a person says back to them, no, you are. And it goes back and forth. It's you, no, it's you, it's you, no, it's you. And neither side will take blame. Neither side will make concession. Both are centered on attacking and defending themselves. And it goes on and on and oftentimes can spiral and become worse and worse. And sometimes what happens is it becomes, it's you. No, it's you. It's you. Okay, it's me. No, it's you. Wait, what? Right? At some point, sometimes what happens is a person decides to say, I take ownership here. I am wrong. I may not be totally wrong, but I'm partly wrong. And sometimes the other person may keep piling on. Yes, it is you. I'm glad you finally see that. But what happens is after a while, healing begins. Why? Because someone dropped their defenses. And you may say to me, I I totally understand this. You may say to me, I'm in this this situation with this person, and it's not a 50-50 deal, Bob. Okay, what is it? 60-40? No, worse. 70-30? No. 80-20? Yeah, maybe 80-20. Okay, take responsibility for 20. Take responsibility for 20% of your fault. Admit it. Say, okay, I'm to blame for this part. Here it is. I'm to blame for this. I understand that. It's hard. It is hard because oftentimes the other person, they keep piling on. But oftentimes, and not every time, but oftentimes what happens is restoration begins to happen. And a relationship can be even better for having gone through it. See, because in the anger and the yelling and the misunderstanding, one person decides, one person decides, wait, I want this person back. I want healing. I want this to work. I don't, I don't want to see us dissolve and, and, and go apart. I want this. I'm willing to be wrong. I'm willing to take down my shield. I'm willing to allow the verbal blows to at times land and consider them and think, this may be my fault. I may be wrong. I am wrong. And it can really work. It really does. Again, not every time. Not every time. I understand that. But when you do the costly act of redemption for a relationship, why does it work? And it's because God became the ultimate example of letting his defenses down, even when he was not at fault at all. He became a baby. This is what this is teaching us here. This is so profound. C.S. Lewis writes about this. He says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. 
And if you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Keep it carefully round. Keep it carefully round and and happy with little hobbies and luxuries. Avoid entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or a coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, your heart will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. To love is to take the chance of being hurt because it's worth it for this relationship. And God came down as a baby to to fulfill this in the flesh. No, No other religion claims this. In secularism, there's no miracle, so that's impossible. In Islam and Judaism, it's blasphemy to say that God became a baby. Eastern religions, it's, it's, it's impossible for that. It's just impossible for that to happen. And I'm, I know I'm making big, broad statements, but in Christianity, God becomes fragile. He becomes breakable. He becomes someone we could hurt. Why? Why? To get us back. That's what we're learning here, to get us Jesus Christ became fragile. He became breakable. He died on the cross for our sins and will reconcile to himself anyone who is willing to admit that they need that extreme of a salvation because that is extreme. That is why he became fragile. That is why he let down his defenses. He wants intimacy with us. And when we grasp that, we see the honor of that, the affirmation of that. He did that for me. When we begin to get a hold of that, then in your human relationships, you'll be able to let down your your defenses when your honor is offended. You'll be willing to say, it's okay. This is nothing compared to the love I have. I'll let my shield down. I'll let the blows land. I'll get through this. And so we have vulnerability for intimacy. Also, what we have here is comfort for suffering. We've talked about this before, but this is so important for us. What does Christmas tell us? You have a resource. Christmas teaches us that God is not remote. He's intimately involved in our lives. Why? Because he knows how it feels. What you're going through right now, whatever it is, he knows how it feels. He's experienced these things. He was a human being. Dorothy Sayers, the, uh, the novelist, famous British novelist, said, for whatever reason God chose to make man as he is, the way he made man, limited, suffering, subject to sorrow, subject to death, at least he had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. Whatever he was playing with creation, he kept his own rules and he played fair. He can exact nothing from man he has not exacted from himself. He has himself gone through the whole human experience from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and the lack of money to the worst horrors of pain, humiliation, defeat, despair, betrayal, and death. When he was a man, he played the man. He was born in poverty, and he died in disgrace, and he thought it well worthwhile. Jesus knows how you feel. You have a Savior who walks with you in the darkest of times. And when you weep, he weeps because he knows how it feels. That's an amazing, an amazing comfort. Third is a passion for justice. 
What what does Christmas tell us? God came in a body. And Eastern religions often can say the physical is an illusion. The Greeks and Romans thought the physical body was bad. Judaism and Islam said, again, this is blasphemy. But God is not just concerned about the spiritual. He had a body. Physical concerns are important to him too. He knows poverty. He was an immigrant in Egypt. He was persecuted. He was lynched. He knows death. His redemption involves body and spirit. So preaching salvation and alleviating physical uh, uh, problems should go hand in hand. And doing one without the other loses part of the message of Christmas. This is why. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things we're involved in. One of the things we're involved in is, is Thrive, a nonprofit that reach, ministers to people who are struggling through, through, through financial counseling, through money, through, through food, through all kinds of ways. And what happens? They're doing that. Why? Because we have to alleviate that as well as. I mean, it's a faith-based organization. We alleviate physical needs as well as present the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we want to be involved in groups like that and CareNet. And there's so many others. The fourth one, what are, what are we given in a new self? The fourth one is humility in relationships. It's hard for us sometimes to understand all of this because this is so unlike our culture. You know, and, and this is stuff I know a lot of you know, but the resurrection narratives and the birth narratives of Jesus are incredibly woman-centric. You know, the resurrection story. Whose job is it to first tell the world the good news of Jesus Christ's resurrection? Women. Mary Magdalene. The world learns it from her. The incarnation. God comes in the world through a woman. A televised event on Times Square? No, no. A poor, unwed Jewish teenager, probably 13 years old, and her cousin, Elizabeth. In those days, women had very marginal status. They were oppressed. Their testimony was not admissible in court. It was because men were in charge, and they said, you can't trust women. Aren't we glad we're past all that? But there's a principle here. There's a principle here. God deliberately works through the people the world tends to despise. God works through the least of these. We have to see that. We have to understand that. So we're being told that Christmas Christmas is like the end of elitism, of snobbishness, the end of looking down on anyone, and we all do it. We all have someone we look down on. And you may say, well, I'm not that way. I don't look down on people like that. Those people look down on people. I don't look down on people like that. And then what do you do? You look down on those people for looking down on people. You say, they're idiots. They're ignorant. I can't stand those people because they're so mean to people. We all struggle with this. We all look, there's someone else that's the reason for the problems that are going on. They're the reason. And we alienate them. We make them the other. We find them easy to look down upon or to hate. 
Martin Luther, Martin Luther said, we need to see Christ in the people we tend to despise. The race you tend to despise, the class of people you tend to despise, the political party you tend to despise, the religion you tend to despise. This is the end of that. Christmas ends this because God came to us. We did not rise through our own ability and through our own good works. We have no grounds for self-righteousness. And it's interesting because Christmas addresses the needs that we don't even see our needs. Maybe you, you, um, maybe you realize suddenly that and maybe you've known that you struggle sometimes with intimacy and relationships, you know, Point number one, the vulnerability for intimacy. That's something we can recognize. Uh, Maybe you know you need comfort. Point two, comfort for suffering. That's something we recognize. I need comfort for suffering. Maybe you realize, hey, maybe I should be more passionate about justice. But this is what's interesting for me. I've never heard people talking and saying, man, you know what we need? I need a sermon on my snobbery. Because we don't recognize it, right? We don't see it that easy. I need a sermon that shows me how elite I am and how wrong that is, how elite I think I am and how wrong that is. No, we're fine with saying those people are bad and looking down on them. We don't even realize that's a problem oftentimes in our lives. And we all can do it. Listen, pastors struggle with this just as much as anyone else. There are arguments and, 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 and there are discussions that oftentimes can turn into ugly arguments between theologians and pastors, and it's horrific. It's horrific to see. I, I meet sometimes with other pastors, and sometimes it's like, I don't like where this conversation is going. You guys are attacking someone who's not here. I remember saying to a couple guys one time, I hate to hear what you say about me when I'm not here. It can happen anywhere. So listen, I'm not off the hook. We're all here on this. We can be, we can have that, that attitude. And Christ came to say, I need to, we need to get, this has to go. We need to get rid of this. We're given a new self that is not this way. So if we have a gift, We look at who are we given. We look at what are we given. Now I want to say, how do you open the gift? We see this from Mary. This is where Mary is our example for us to follow because this is is kind of beautiful. The first thing I want you to see is through hard thinking, right? After the angel went to her and said, greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be, all right? This, This doesn't quite do justice, it, it gets the, the, the idea, but there's a little more here for it. When it says Mary is greatly troubled, this means it's, it's, she's greatly agitated. This means you think about some time where you thought something horrific was going to happen, something terrible is going to happen, and you're just, oh, it's just eating you alive. This is that word. It's eating her alive. And what does Mary say? It's so interesting. You know, when, when Mary says about this, it's not, it's not what you would expect. Mary doesn't right away say, oh, what an honor. Thank you. I'm so excited about this. This is a great privilege for me. Thanks, God. No, she's troubled. And she wondered, what kind of greeting could this be? 
And the word wondering is an interesting word in the Greek. And I, I hesitate sometimes, but I think it's sometimes good to, good to hear. Here it is. This is the word. It's in the Greek, for those of you who know it. Um, and the English, the English uh, is right below it. But it's a dialogizomai. This is, this is that word. And, 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 and it's got the word logic in it. It comes from the word. We, we get the word logic from it. And, and we see here what's, what's going on. What this word means is, is to ponder something. It means to furiously analyze and, you know, it's that kind of analyzing, especially because she's troubled. You ever know sometimes where you go, well, maybe I should do this. Well, I don't know. Maybe I should do this. And you go back and forth. In fact, one, the, uh, one uh, Greek scholar wrote, imagine a ping pong ball going back and forth. This is what's going on in her head. Back and forth, back and forth. Why? Why is she having this back and forth argument? Because she's not sure if she believes it. She can't, it doesn't fit. She's going through the categories of how life works, and it doesn't fit in her grid. So she's thinking, is this a dream? <gasps> I had pizza last night. I knew late-night pizza, not good, not good, right? Is this real? Am I seeing things? This is not how, you know, this is one of the things I, that, that make the Bible so real. This is not how you write a legend to show the piety, the, 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 uh, the awesomeness of Mary, because right off, our first thought is Mary's going, I... You know, a little bit, she says, so how does this work? How can this be? I'm not, sure if I, I'm not sure if I believe this. See, what Mary is doing is Mary is reacting just like you would react. Just like you would react in a similar situation. Lots of people say, oh, we're modern. They're primitive. They believed in that kind of stuff, right? We're different. And what that is, is that's another form of snobbery, right? We look down on the, oh, but here's the thing. We're not modern, they're primitive. Because she's struggling with it just like you would struggle with it, right? If you saw this vision, you'd be going, okay, I don't know. This is like a, I've never had a dream like this, so this is really weird, but I don't think he's talking to me. Saying something that's impossible. I mean, there's, right there is part of the tr- the, the, the problem of it. This is impossible. And so Mary's struggling with that. She did not think angels and visions would happen to her. It's not a part of her worldview. How do you account for the fact that Mary and these early Christians believed that God had become flesh and decided to worship a human being? It didn't come out of Greek or Roman thinking. Because they thought oftentimes physical matter is, is evil, it's bad. Eastern religions, generally speaking, look at those things as an illusion. They'll pass away. The Jews, again, worshiping a human is blasphemy. How do we account for these people who did what they'd been taught their whole lives not to do? Because they were changed. Because they were changed. This is not developing out of their culture. This is not developing in any way that they think of out of their religion. It's a bolt of lightning out of a blue sky. What happened to these Jews that would make them go against their culture, their families, and their religion? What made any of them believe that anyone would believe them? C.S. Lewis said, one reason I believe is because no one is brilliant enough or crazy enough to have thought this up. Why? Because faith is more than thinking, but it is not less than thinking. 
Because this is what's going on. Mary is thinking this through furiously, frantically, trying to make sense out of what's happening. She's struggling with doubt. She's not sure if she believes. It shows that we say, how can this be? Which basically is saying, this is not possible. This is impossible. So faith is more than thinking, but not less than. So the hard work, first is hard thinking, of opening, the work of opening the gift, hard thinking. The second is honest doubting. Because this is Mary's first response. You know, her first response is, how can this be? I don't think this is possible. And what does the angel say? For nothing is impossible with God. You notice he doesn't exactly answer her question. He answers, but he doesn't give the answer she's looking for. She's saying, How's it, how could this possibly work out? How does it work? I've never heard of this before. And the angel's saying, God can do anything. So, you know, he's not telling her how it works. He's telling her it will happen. And she, he's given her enough information to make a decision. It's a wonderful verse. Nothing is impossible for God. It's a wonderful verse, and we have that verse because Mary doubted. God doesn't condemn her. He gives her enough information to work on. You know, sometimes you say, God, why did this happen? How did this happen? How will this work? And God doesn't always give us the answer we want. He may give us answers, but it's not the ones we want. And Mary, it's the same thing. She goes, I understand how this could possibly happen. How does it work? And he says, God can do anything. Okay. So honest doubting. Third one, community. How do we open the gift? The angel tells her to go to Elizabeth. The great song, the Magnificat of Mary, comes after processing this with Elizabeth. There are doubts and there are questions that are dealt with, but she does it with people. Fourth one, how are you going to open the gift? The final thing, maybe the most important, is sincere surrender. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. I'm the Lord's servant. She goes, all right, God, I'm in. I'm in. I'll do it. I don't understand it. I can't figure it out. I don't know what's going to happen. All I know is, you said this is going to happen. You told me to go see Elizabeth. I'm in. And off she goes. When I first came to Christ, I did not understand a lot of what I was doing. All I knew was that my life was a mess. I totally screwed things up. I hated myself. And my only hope was God. And if God didn't come through, it was hopeless. And I said, okay, God, I'm in. I'm in. I was raised in a poker-playing family. And so I knew what all in meant. I put all my chips in the middle. And I said, if I lose this hand, I'm a goner, God. I'm in. And this is what Mary is saying. I don't know. I don't think she was raised in a poker-playing family, but... uh, mm. But <laughs> if you ever want to read a little more, I have an interesting sermon on how Paul uses some poker terms. So it's a whole nother deal. Okay, so, but it makes me feel better about how I was raised. Um, you know, the interesting thing is, you know, at birth, 
It's a little funny tradition we have, right? Parents get to name their kid. Why is that? Mainly because the parents are grown-ups. I mean, what kind of name would a little kid come up with, right? You know, blue, blah, blah, something like that. Parents are in charge, and they're older. They're older, so they make that decision. Notice what happens here. You don't get to name this child. This is what his name is. Why? Because Jesus is older than they are. So he gets the name. They don't get to name him. And the angel is telling them something from the get-go. You don't manage him. He manages you. This is not going to be normal. Now, I know a lot of people will say, I've heard it. I'd like to believe this. But does this mean I have to give this up? I mean, very spe- whatever the specific thing is. Or do I have to give up this or both of them? Or this or whatever? What do I? I don't, this is really a struggle for me to have to give up. Now, understand, when we say that, what are we saying? I want to manage God. I want it my way. I'm not in for it. I want to manage God. And I just want to let you in. God is having none of that. It just doesn't work that way. God is not letting us make him fit our preconceived notions. Because that's not a relationship, right? A relationship is not me saying, you do this, 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 or I'm done. That's not what a relationship is. That's ownership. A relationship is saying, I'm in. There's not a cost-benefit analysis. That's what we do when we say to God, I want to believe, but do I have to give up this? We're, we're, we're doing an ROI. What's the return on my investment? It's saying, God, I, I want God, but I want to be in charge. And at some point, you have to realize that you may not understand or know what following Christ will bring, but he's asking for an all-in. Because why? Because we have a God who, in a very real sense, submitted to us. He became a baby. He lived that sinless life that we could not live for us. He did it for us. And so, we have to think about, there's this gift. Who are we given? What are we given? How do we open the gift? Hard thinking, honest doubting, community, sincere surrender. And when we get to that point, we can say, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. We can all start becoming, in a sense, Mary's, submitting, going all in. I'm the Lord's servant. This is what Christmas is about. When you go out the rest of this week and the next couple weeks and you go shopping or you go to people's homes and you see trees and you see decorations and people buying presents, let me just help you remember, this is what it is about. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. That's what it's all about. And that's important for us to get a handle on so that we can be people who go all in like Mary has. And I think I always thought about this a while back. 
of Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it says he's enduring agony and horror and shock. And he says, God, Father, you're sovereign. There's got to be another way. And there's not. And he says, it's your will, not my will. Which is very much an echo of this verse. And I can imagine over the years as Jesus was growing up, and he was saying, why do people call me names? Why do people say bad things about you, Mom? And she tells him this story. And she tells him, and it ended with me saying, I'm in, God. I'm in. I will do your will. And Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he echoes those very same words the day before he is hung on a cross. And so this is what we can learn from Christmas. We have a God who comforts us, who loves us, who walks with us because he has been us. And he asks us to follow him, to go all in. And our response has to be, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Christmas and what it means. Lord, help us. Help us. Uh, It is so fun to get caught up in Christmas, but help us also to remember it is about what Jesus has done. It is about others. It is about serving and loving and impacting people's lives in a way that will affect them for eternity. Help us to be busy doing those kinds of things. In Jesus' name. Amen.